Well, good morning to each one. I told the family on the way to church that it feels like we were just here. And I guess there's a danger that we could wear out our welcome here in, within the first year, but I didn't have anything to do with the schedule. Uh, but we are happy to be here and uh, to worship with you. The title of my message today is When I Am Tempted. I invite you to book the book of James first chapter. We sang a song a while ago, home of the soul, beautiful home, you know, where we will be at rest. And uh, that's a glorious thought, isn't it? To be on that beautiful shore, to be at rest. Sorrows of life are past, pain is gone. Trials are gone, temptations are gone, beautiful home of the soul. But you know, we're not there yet. We are still here on this earth. We're still in this journey of life. We're working there, we're going there, but we're on the path to the beautiful home of the soul. And while we're here on this path, there's things that we face in this life that threaten us on that journey. There's things that we face that can get us off track. And James in this book here, and especially in this first chapter, he talks about some things that can sidetrack us. And in the first couple verses, he talks about Various trials. Now, your Bible, if you have a King James, may say diverse temptations. But I think if you study that, the surrounding verses, various trials is a better interpretation of what he's talking about there in the beginning. But later, he does speak about specifically temptations and how we deal with those. And that's what I want to focus in on today is, is that trials and temptations, are, are, they're both related in the sense that they test us. They, 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 they come our way and they, they test us to where we're at. But when we talk about a trial, we're usually referring to something that comes our way that can be a devastating thing, but it's not necessarily a, uh, something evil. It can be a sickness. It can be um, just a, a broken relationship. It can be many different things that come our way, and they can be real trials in our lives. But when we refer to temptation, there's something darker there. There's something sinister. There's, there's an enticement to do evil. There's a difference between trials and temptation. And like I said, today... I want to talk about temptation. I preached a sermon, not here, about trials, but this is the sermon I preached uh, on temptation. So let's read James 1, verses 12 through 16. James 1, verses 12 through 16. Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. So I'd like to ask a question. What is temptation? How would you define temptation? I could give you many illustrations from my own life about temptation, and most of them would probably be pretty embarrassing. So I don't want to do that. So I'm going to give you an illustration from my own life that's a little safer. So nowadays, uh, what are the cool sunglasses? If you want to go buy sunglasses and you want cool sunglasses, what kind are they? Ray-Ban, okay, maybe Costas, Wiley X, I don't know. Well, back when I was a youth, we didn't have Costas. We had Ray-Bans were around, but there was Oakley's. And I thought Oakley sunglasses were just the coolest thing ever. And I really wanted a pair of Oakley sunglasses. And, uh, but I, I didn't have a pair. And you probably know why. They're expensive. They, they cost a lot of money. And uh, I, just, I guess I couldn't afford them. Um, but when, our, when I was 15 or 16 years old, our youth group went on a bus trip to... Uh, Baltimore Inner Harbor, and we were up there walking along, walking around on the streets, and uh, there was a man came up to me, and guess what he was selling? He was selling genuine Oakley sunglasses, at least that's what he told me, and the best part about it was they were affordable. You know, usually they cost what? I don't know what they cost back in there. It was $40, $50, 60 70 80 But these were like $5 or 15 I don't know. But they were like, they were within my budget range for sure. And, uh, you know, I think probably deep down inside I was, I was suspicious that maybe something was amiss here. But my desire inside to be cool and to be identified as an Oakley owner overcome my better senses and uh, I bought the sunglasses. And I was pretty proud of myself for buying these Oakley sunglasses until I showed them to my friends. Guess what? They laughed at me. <laughs> they, they knew I'd been a sucker. And after that, I was, I was actually kind of ashamed to wear, my, wear those sunglasses. So what is a temptation? The dictionary defines a temptation as the desire to have or to do something, especially something wrong. Another definition is to entice or to allure to do something often regarded as unwise, wrong, or immoral. You may think that that illustration of the sunglasses is not really a temptation, and yet it was. There was something there in my heart that wanted something. And what I got was a sham. 
You know, if I ask you what is temptation, you know what it is, right? You know what a temptation is because you've experienced it. All of us have experienced temptation in life. And I think we need to recognize that even as Christians, there are, there are wrong desires that we can have within us. And because of those wrong desires, we can be tempted in a lot of different areas in life. We could be tempted to lie. We could be tempted to worry, to slander, to compromise the truth, to hoard, to hate, to glorify ourselves, to indulge in sexual sins, to look at things we shouldn't, to say unkind or hurtful words, to think impure thoughts, to fantasize, to covet. The list goes on and on about ways that we can be tempted to sin. So where do these temptations come from? Let's, let's consider that for a little bit. One thing the Bible is very clear on in this passage here is that God does not tempt. God is not the source of temptation. God is holy, and God has no propensity to evil at all. In fact, God hates sin. God hates evil, and he would never, God would never entice us to do evil. So where does temptation come from? So often when we think about temptation, we think of the devil, right? We think of Satan. And the Bible does talk about Satan being the tempter. When we think back to Eve in the garden, who was it that tempted her? It was the devil. It was Satan. He tempted her. Who was it in the wilderness, who tempted Jesus, it was the devil, right? He tempted Jesus. Paul talks about Satan as being the tempter. And I think that if we, we would be mistaken today if we didn't recognize that the source of all evil at the bottom is Satan himself. He is the source of all evil in this world. And so... There is a real sense in which Satan is ultimately the source of temptation. Satan is a destroyer, and there is nothing he would like better than to destroy each one of our souls and drag us down to hell. He hates holiness, and he hates to see a Christian living in victory. And he will use any method he can to trip you and I up. So yes, it is absolutely true that Satan is the source of temptation. However, I want to look here in this passage about the process of temptation that James teaches us about. And I think we're going to discover that we ourselves have a large role to play in this area of temptation. And there's four things that we want to look at here in this passage. First of all, it is conceived in the heart. Secondly, it is considered in the mind. Thirdly, it's carried out in the body. And fourthly, it concludes in death. Let's look at the first one. It is conceived in the heart. Verse 14 of this passage says, 
that it is our own carnal desires that lure us away. And James is using here the illustration of a fishing lure or a fishing bait. And if you're going fishing and you throw out a lure, they look gross and disgusting to us, right? But we're not fish. We don't, we don't want to eat a worm. But for a fish, that is, a, that is enticing. That is alluring. That's something they want. They're hungry. And for us, it is our hunger for the bait that draws us to these things. We see it and we want it. There's something in us that wants that thing. It catches our eye. And right away, our desires kick in. And you know, like I was saying, this is, this is a little bit unnerving because we like to think of temptations as coming from the devil. But this is within. And James, in this passage, he doesn't even mention the devil at all. He's talking about temptation. And he doesn't use, he doesn't talk about Satan. We don't like that idea. But really, we have to recognize that it's our own selfishness, it's our own carnality that is really at the core here. We'd like to say that, well, the devil made me do it. But James is clear when he says we're drawn away of our own desires and enticed. So we ourselves are responsible for our sins because we create the temptation out of our own sinful desires. The thing we need to recognize is that sin is conceived in the heart when our carnal desires or our lust responds to the bait. You know, if I hadn't been lusting after a pair of Oakley sunglasses, I'd have walked right past that man. It wouldn't have appealed to me, right? But you see what was down in my heart came out. I wanted those sunglasses. And I was quickly drawn away of my own lust and enticed. Matthew Poole said, Lust hath a greater hand in it than either the devil or his instruments, who cannot make us sin without ourselves. Yes, Satan is the master at throwing out the right bait at the right time. He knows what is your weakness, and he knows when to hit you with it. But he's going to keep doing that till the end of time, Right? That is who he is. So for, there is something has got to change within our hearts for us to be able to endure that temptation successfully. And what has got to change is our hearts have to change. Our desires have to change. There has to be a change within. We must allow God to cleanse our hearts and to replace them with pure ones that honor him. The second part in this process that we read about here in James is that it's considered in the mind. So it's planted in the heart by that desire. But then it goes from our heart to our mind. And that's the part in the process where we are enticed. 
The Greek word for this entice means to delude or to allure or to beguile. And it has the idea of being deceived. So when we're tempted by a wrong desire, like I said, it moves from our heart to our head where we begin to rationalize why we should go ahead and do this. And our minds are pretty good, pretty adept at making up all kinds of excuses about why we should go ahead and give in to the temptation. You know, for me with the sunglasses, I started rationalizing, but it's cheap. And I'll look cool, you know. Our minds are amazing things. We start to lie to ourselves. And we say, well, this will make me happy. Or I don't have a choice in this. Or I need this. Or I deserve this. Or it doesn't matter this time. Or I can do this and nobody will find out. When we start to justify why it's okay for me to give in to this temptation, we're really only deceiving ourselves. Our minds are deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. And we're buying into the lie that Satan used back in the garden when he said, you can do this and you won't surely die. He told Eve, he said, you can sin and you will not surely die. That's a lie from Satan. When we allow our minds to rationalize why we should go ahead and sin, we are being enticed. We are, uh, as I said, we are, uh, it is being considered in the mind we are deceiving ourselves. The third thing in, in this process of temptation is it is carried out in the body. When we allow our minds to justify why it would be okay to give in to the temptation, it's only a matter of time until we go ahead and do the deed. It gets carried out. We say the words, we do the deed, we buy the fake sunglasses, we go ahead and just do it because we've justified it in our mind. Somehow, the sin is going to manifest itself. It's going to come out. And James gives a very vivid word picture here in this passage. He talks about a child being born. He says, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So the thing that was growing within comes out. There is a child born, and in this case, it's a very unwanted child. It is the child of sin. And this child of sin can be very difficult to deal with. We don't want it, but there it is. And it brings with it the baggage of shame and guilt. Temptation, when it is conceived in the heart, When it is considered in the mind, it is eventually carried out in the body. The fourth thing is, as James teaches here, it concludes in death. When we allow sin to grow, live and grow in our lives, it produces an even more unwanted product, death. 
And I believe this refers to not physical death, but spiritual death. And this is the tragic end of a person who allows sin to reign in their lives. Death is the the tragic end of all who allow sin to grow and flourish in their lives. Paul reminds us in Romans, he says, the wages or the cost or the price of sin is death. And I know it's, it's hard for us to know what all this means by death. Death of relationship, spiritual death, eternal death. I, I don't know all those things. But death is a very unwanted product. And it is the result of sin reigning in our lives. So, if we've looked at these four things. It's all a little depressing, isn't it? It's a little discouraging. Sin conceived in our hearts and then considered in our minds, carried out in our body, and then it concludes in death. It's all just kind of... So I don't want to leave you with discouragement. I want to encourage you in this. Let's look at four things that we can do to respond to temptation. I want to look at each one of these. Feeding the inner man, finding the way of escape, fighting the temptation early on, and lastly, facing up to our failures. The first one is feeding our inner man. How are we going to deal with temptation? We know we're going to be faced with temptation. We've faced it in the past. We may be facing it today. We're going to face it in the future. How are we going to respond? That's the important question, right? Well, I think we all recognize the importance of physical health and strength to be able to perform well to do our tasks, right? If you don't eat, you're weak. Some of you have probably fasted for some time, and you know after maybe a few hours even, you're, you're, you feel kind of weak. And if you try it for a few days, you can really feel weak. Or if you're sick, you just don't feel like doing what you need to be doing. The same is true of our inner man. Okay, we know how it is on our outer man, how it affects our bodies when we don't provide the nourishment or when, or when we're sick. We feel weak and susceptible. But... We need to think about our inner man because this is very important to, in the area of temptation. If we are weak or sickly in our inner man, we're not going to be able to function properly. We're not going to be able to respond well to temptation. We're going to be susceptible. We're going to be a sitting duck, as they say, for temptation. We won't be able to respond well to that temptation. If something pops up on your phone and you are weak in your inner man, you're going to give in. You're going to not have the strength it takes to respond well. And I feel like for my own life, this is one of the most important keys to dealing with temptation is to feed the inner man. It is a, something you must do constantly. You must take care of that inner man, the inner spiritual side of you. If you're not providing nourishment and exercising your inner man on a regular basis, you are not in a good position to deal with temptation. You are going to be susceptible to anything that comes your way. 
I have found in my own life it's the days when somehow I just ran out of time. I didn't have time to sit down with the word of God and prayer. And I get halfway through the day and I'm just like, I'm battling things. I'm like, what's wrong? What's going on? And I think back, well, I know why you didn't take care of your inner man. Paul in Ephesians 3.16 says, he prayed for them. He said that they would be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We need to be nourishing and strengthening and exercising our inner man. I feel like that is the most important thing we need to do in dealing with temptation. The second one is finding a way of escape. And I want to underscore that there is always, always a way of escape. Always. You know this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is a promise in that verse that God will always, always provide a way of escape. I want you to think about it like this, and this church is a good um, way to illustrate it. When you face a temptation, there's always going to be two doors for you. It's just like walking up to a wall, and there's two doors in that that wall. The one's going to say, God's way to to victory, and the other is going to say Satan's way to defeat. And I'm not discriminating on which classroom, but there's always going to be a choice. God is always going to provide a door, a way of escape. So which, what choice are you going to make when you are facing that temptation? Are you going to take God's door, God's way, to victory, or are you going to take Satan's way to defeat? We have the choice. It's there. We need to recognize our own responsibility in choosing the right door. And the good news about this is, I think I can say this from my own experience, is the more you choose the right door, the more you're going to be likely to choose it the next time. The converse is true. The more you take the wrong door, the the easier it's going to be to take the wrong door. What does the song say? Each victory will help you, some other to win. Let's keep taking the right door, God's way of escape. So God will will provide a way of escape. Sometimes we need to find it and seek it out, but it's always there. The third thing I'd like to consider is fighting the temptation early on. The quicker we recognize it is a temptation to sin and turn from it, the better we will have dealt with it. You know, this process that we talked about, it starts inward and works outward. It's a process that starts in our heart and it moves out to where it's manifest. 
And I've heard it said, and I think I agree with it, it's not a sin to be tempted. Is that right? I think I agree with that. It's not a sin to be tempted. But a question I'd like you to consider is, is when does the temptation become a sin? Like, where in that process does it become, go from just a temptation that's not sin to something that is sin? Something for you to think about this week. I would say that a temptation quickly becomes sin when we take it in and we start to consider it in our hearts. When we start to respond to that temptation, quickly our lust come alive. And I don't, yeah, I don't know that I have the answer, but I think it probably begins quicker than we want to recognize. That we start to think thoughts that we shouldn't be thinking. The point is that we need to stop the process as soon as possible. As soon as we recognize that we are being, that we're considering this sin, that it's being conceived in our hearts, we need to stop it there. We need to repent of it right there. And if it's moved out of our hearts into our head and we start to rationalize it and we're processing this thing and we're being deceived and we recognize it, we need to stop it there. We need to repent of it. And if it's moved beyond that and it's carried out in the body and we've committed the sin, we need to repent of it. We need to stop the process. The point I'm saying is we need to deal with the sin as early on as possible because sin starts inward and moves outward. Let's deal with it as soon as we can. So much better to deal with the thing, area of sin, until it is consummated or it is in, ends up in death. The last thing that I want to think about is facing up to our failures. So what, as we talk about this area of, of temptation, I think we all have to recognize that there's times when we have been tempted, we've given in, and we've failed. What do we do then? How do we respond? Because God wants us to respond properly to that. And that's probably a whole sermon in itself, is responding to that. But I want to make very clear that God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. If you have been tempted and failed, come back to the cross. Come back for forgiveness. God will forgive your sin. He loves to forgive your sin. Forgiveness can be ours when we repent of our sins and turn our faces back to God. The Bible assures us that the work of Jesus on the cross was for the sins of the whole world. And that includes your sins and mine. Praise the Lord for the cleansing blood of Jesus. None of us would be here today. None of us would deserve to be here today without the blood of Jesus and his cleansing our hearts and our conscience before God. So I think it's also important that when we have given in to sin, or as James here says, as as we've given birth to sin, it's come out. 
It is important, it is, it is proper to confess it to the appropriate people. And I know it takes some discernment to know who the appropriate people are. But we need to recognize that the strength of sin is in its secrecy. The more we keep sin hidden, the stronger the power it's going to have on our lives. And yes, I know it's, it's very shameful, it's very humbling, but it also can be very healing when sins are confessed. James 5, later on in the book here, James 5, 16, it says, Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So in conclusion, I believe that a large part of learning to grow as a Christian has to do with how we deal with temptations that we face. And as we learn to examine our own hearts and our desires, and as we learn to recognize the lies of Satan, and as we repent of our failures when we have failed, I believe that we can learn to better deal with the temptations that's going to come our way. I have no hope that Satan is going to give up tempting people. He's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep tempting the saints and wants to draw them away. But I do hope that you and I can grow in this area, that we can become more uh, knowledgeable of his tactics and also learn to respond better, quicker, or more quickly um, to, to those things. So may God help us to feed our inner man, to keep our inner man strong. May God help us to find the way of escape. There will always be that way of escape. May God help us to fight the temptations early on. Don't let them grow. And lastly, God help us to face up to our failures and respond properly. I'd like to close with the words of a song, a very common song. It's a prayer. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee every hour, in joy or pain, come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee every hour, teach thee my will, teach me thy will, and thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee every hour, most holy one. O oh, make me thine indeed, thou blessed son. I need thee, O oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. O oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. May the Lord bless you.